0: podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on a man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even though they do suffer from mental health issues. Well, fasten your seatbelts, everyone, and listen actively to this outrageous story. There's a lot to learn from this amazing duo. Our guests today are the couple Maverick Von Hogg and Gwendolyn Morales. Pioneer of mixed martial arts, Maverick is an entrepreneur and become well-known in his hometown of Lucerne Valley, California. He also has experience as a movie and TV personality, and he did it all while staying at the top of his game in caged fighting. Maverick was once a bodyguard for Janet Jackson that set the stage for his fighting career in the Octagon. Maverick quickly found success in the Octagon. To date, he's got 32 wins, two losses, and one draw in cage combat. He has had five world titles and 19 title defenses. Through fighting, Maverick has been all over the world. But he wanted something more, something deeper. He became deeply spiritual and found the love of his life, Gwendolyn. Gwen is also a competitive athlete. He's a champion bodybuilder and has bought, brought Maverick along with her into that world and has been the spark between the awesome recovery of Ma- Maverick's life. Maverick has overcome one of the most horrific accidents I've ever known and has come out the other side a better and stronger man in numerous ways. He's an honorary mayor of Lucerne Valley and he raises money for the community through a, very, uh, through a series of various events. Like myself, Maverick became fully devoted to helping others. We're honored that Gwen and Maverick are sharing some of their time with us. Gwen, Maverick, how are you guys doing today?
1: Blessed,
0: thank
2: you. We are blessed. Thank you so much, for Tim, for your time, and you bringing in awareness of, of this tragedy that we've turned into triumph.
0: Great. Well, it's a great story to tell, and I'd like to have you guys tell us a little bit about your story and how you got here today. And take your time. There's no rush.
2: Well, I tell you, it's been one ladies to say, barn burner of a <laughs> of a journey. <laughs> um, like you've already talked about, I've been a competitive athlete my whole life, and towards the end of my career, um, we brought Gwen to the stage and got her involved in uh, women's uh, bikini and bodybuilding. And she ultimately became the WFF world champion in 2018 and 2019. Wow. The first Latina to win it in 50 years. The Ooh. first American to win it, period, in over 50 years. So it was a big, a big step forward in transitioning from MMA world champion and then, obviously, getting into politics and serving the community, and then transferring into movies, we the the competitive edge was still there for me as a competitor. That making a movie was just a financial way to continue the growth of our business, but that competitive edge was such a burning desire in me that even though prepping wine for her shows and she becoming the world champion, business owner, entrepreneur, uh, real estate investor. It's still, I still had the Bernie edge inside to compete in some way. Sure. And, uh, seeing her be successful and compete. I thought, you know what, this must be the next step into my life. I'm going to, you know, go on this path with her and, helper because, you know, the diet and nutrition aside from the training is is really a very difficult thing to do. And if you have two people in a household and one's eating pizza and the other one's eating fish, (laughs) it causes a little bit of conflict. So the support needed to be there. And if I was going to do, I was like, well, if I'm going to put myself through this, then I'm going to compete also.
0: That's great. That's great. So tell us a little bit about you were you were on a bicycle ride one day, doing some training, and something happened.
2: Yeah, needless to say, um, Gwen was prepping me um, for Motherlode. Uh, the LA um, USAs was canceled, so we started to prep for a show in Nevada. And prepping for this show because of COVID and all kinds of nonsense that was going on, I was spending more time out on a road bike that I had instead of inside in our gym and uh, training and doing the cardio in there because we just were in the gym so much with COVID and the stay home orders that we need, I needed to get out. And that was a release for me to get out. Um, Lo and behold, on the day of the incident, I was leaning out at a pretty rapid pace. So it was probably, she had me probably the leanest, that I've been for any of the competitions. Now, bear in mind, I'm 53 years old, so um, when you start leaning out in this fashion, it looks great, but your mind and your faculties start to suffer from that. And the day of the accident, I had went live and said, you know, this is my last uh, live post that I'm gonna do before the show because I'm having some problems seeing, my vision seems to be a little bit, a little bit off. And be none to me, Gwen didn't see that in the morning.
1: Before we left.
2: Right. Before we left, she didn't see it. And our nutritionist had told her, I think, two days before, hey, you know, he's leaning out a lot. And you guys keep him inside the gym, you know, watch what he's doing, this and that. Because I was really pushing to the extremes. I didn't want to compete with the 40-plus people or the 50-plus people. I was competing with the 20 year olds. I wanted to compete, I had a chip on my shoulder. I won the muscle icon overall. I did one APC show where I took three division title firsts in all three divisions. So in my mindset, I didn't wanna compete at the level of a masters. If I was gonna do it, I wanted to stand shoulder to shoulder with a 21 year old and hold my own ground. Well, needless to say that day, um, like I said, we had made the post, she didn't see the post and we were out on our fasted cardio. Now, fasted cardio is, um, you don't eat, you don't have nothing in your system and you're really depleting any of the last, uh, calories, calories in, or calories out, left over from your meals from the day before. So your body is really in a depletion. And when it goes into a, a depletion like that, your faculties or your functions, you know, can be, what's the word I'm looking for? Um,
1: just your, your way of making decisions,
2: your decision, make everything could be slowed down yeah. or your judgment could be off. Right. And, uh, and I was just, we were 11 days out, yeah. I think. And I was like, you know what? I am going to push. I'm going to push to death. I felt like I was in the fifth round of defending my title again and I'm bleeding. And you know what? I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to smile at you even though I'm losing inside and keep fighting just to, to screw with your head. So we were filming that, you know, I had the camera on filming, it turned it off, and we were on our way back. Mm. Now this area that we ride in is on harbor and it's a dedicated bike lane. And it has a no-stopping area, no trucks allowed, no stopping at any time, dedicated bicyclist lane. A lot of cyclists, world cyclists travel there along the coast and they ride there. Well, we were on the last you know, two miles back and I was going to push. I was gonna push harder than ever because Gwen pulled way ahead of me as I was really depleted and I was really falling back. So she started to slow down and I was gearing up. So I put my head down, had my headphones in. I was at the end of the rope and I started pedaling. I started pedaling harder, like it was the freaking World Cup and I was gonna come back full speed. Well, I did see the semi pass us but I really didn't think anything of it because that's a dedicated bike lane, no stopping anytime, full red zone. You cannot stop a vehicle there. It's like stopping a vehicle on a bridge. You just, you can't do it unless you break down. Well, unbeknownst to myself, I put my head down. I came flying up behind Gwen and went right past her. She looked up immediately and felt it and realized this guy's head's down.
1: Yeah like what is he doing and And he
2: is pumping hard full throttle looking at the bike lane following my line pushing as hard as i possibly can and at that point her instincts kicked in and she was trying to catch me with everything she had to kick me over because she saw this semi not only stop but the guy got out of the truck right in the middle of the bike lane so that being said she was screaming yelling everything at the top of her lungs and, um, oops, sorry about that. That's okay. Keep I'm, I'm blind, <laughs> so I can't see what it's doing. That's
0: right. Nobody can see it. Don't worry about it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I hit the semi. My, you know, like you said, if you, I had like 17, I'm sorry, six different, uh, stunt bike videos out where I've done extreme motorcycle stunts. I have a, a condition called acute psychomotor syndrome where my balance is so above and beyond my my inner receptors, if a natural human fires one 100th time per second, mine fires one 100,000 times per second. So that's why you see me standing on the tank of the motorcycle at 70 miles an hour on the freeway, because my balance and my intuition is very acute. Mm. So that being said, that I was depleted right at the last second. Literally, I lifted my face and hit the semi full speed, 22 miles an hour, face first. And my wife had to witness that. Hmm. Tragic. Tragic event. And I make light of it now that we joke. I asked her, did I get knocked out? (laughs) Did, did, Did I knock out? And she's like, no. I hit the truck so hard it snapped the front rim, broke both handlebars off, broke both levers off. And this is a $7,000 specialized ultra high strength stealth carbon fiber bicycle, supposedly indestructible. The impact was so intense that it broke everything in the bicycle, even the pedal snapped off. I hit the truck face first, ripped this eye completely out of my head, crushed the orbital, imploded the cheekbone and broke my jaw and lacerated my head from here all the way down here. I had 22 staples there, ripped the inside of my mouth four inches over on here and impaled me. The bar that they tightened down went through my skull up here and I landed virtually on the back of the truck. Mm. Now, bear in mind that to this day, I still haven't grasped seeing this happen. This is what was told to me as my wife watched it because I ended up getting what's called retrograde amnesia. Mm -hmm. And it's a complete loss of events and time. Mm -hmm. So the last thing that I physically and truly can own and say is I remember writing her.
0: right?
2: The rest of it is obviously the pictures, obviously the damage to my face and her statement in the police report of what happened to me. Uh, lo and behold, from that point on, I was obviously taken to the hospital, intubated, put in a coma. Yeah. Now, the eyeball was, the orbital was crushed, 21 multiple fractures of my face, um, broke my jaw, and the eyeball was lanced in half and ripped out of my head. And I was holding it with my own hands, trying to keep it in my face. Um, and they subsequently obviously with the technology and I have god's grace to them how they sewed the eyeball back together with the technology inserted the eyeball back in my head and the rest was just up to the man upstairs of what was going to happen at that point but obviously because of all the trauma and the damage you know I was intubated and put into a coma now bear in mind this is all (coughs) COVID-19 Nobody can get in, nobody knows what's going on. She's contacting everybody. There's no access to the hospital. So how many days was it when I when I when they took me off the intubator? It
1: was like two days he was under um, induced coma. And then the first day that they woke him up, he didn't know. Well, they told me that he doesn't know his name. He's saying a different name. Um, and he thinks it's like I don't know. It was like 1954 at first, and I'm like, he wasn't even boring. <laughs> what the hell! So they're like, well, let's just let it pass. You know, it could be that it, this commonly happens sometimes within the first few hours of waking up of anesthesia. You know, he's just confused, so let's let it ride a couple hours and then see, um, you know, how he does. So a couple hours or a few hours go by, and they're like, nope, he's still saying. Um, he's someone else like they wouldn't tell me so I was just like okay um so I wait till the nighttime. this was like all day and I'm like oh my god like what's going on you know this is weird but it wasn't in my mind that he lost his memory I just was like why is he so confused so I finally asked him like who is he saying he is you know and they're like oh Alan Harvey I'm like okay well he's not confused because that was prior to um fighting when he changed his name so um yeah, I was like, that, that is him. They're like, oh, okay. So it put a little bit more like, you know, um, like a relaxation in my mind. But then um, when they decided to like mention my name, they, they said, well, he has no idea who you are. Like we're trying to tell him and he still thinks, or he changed the date and it got closer to 19, um, what did I say, 97? 97. 97. Finally, he was stuck at 97. Um, and he thought he was bodyguarding Janet Jackson and, um, you know, asking for people that were no longer alive, um, didn't have any idea he had children and just thought he was in a whole different time era. So yeah, they kept him there for two weeks and, um, I was able to see him like within a week, but that was me just being very insistent, like he has to know who I am, you know, like you guys, I felt like they're trying to keep me away because they're trying to protect him in a way because he was so fragile. And I get that. But at the same time, like he has to come home at some point, he has to know who his family is and his kids and who I am. So it was a real um, wake up to realize that it was real when I first saw him um, to see that he really has no idea who I am you
2: know great, great crazy to to think um and this is based on speculation because i don't i can only go by what was told to me um by my brother that you know that's your wife I <laughs> know it's not
1: <laughs> yeah you like, know i know you're telling me that yeah but i'm sorry i don't know who don't she know is. she
2: is What are all these tattoos doing on me? My mom is going to come unglued. (laughs) (laughs) You know, where's Janet? Did you call Janet? Does she know I'm here? Why isn't she here? Where's my dad? He's dead. Where's my grandma? He's dead. Where's my dog? They're dead. (laughs) Okay, where's my girlfriend, Miriam?
1: You're you're not with her You're not
2: with (laughs) (laughs) Miriam. You know, so... You're upgraded. Thinking, <laughs> what in God's name is this some military science project yeah. they're trying to do with me? Or, yeah. you know, what is going on? And uh, who is this? Who is this person? So, Gwen fought really hard. We had a lot of problems uh, with the surgeries, multiple, multiple surgeries. Um, and the fact that one of the surgeries, the last few days, I was in the main hospital before I got transferred, where they had my jaw bandage shut. I came out of it and was regurgitating blood so bad they had to do emergency uh, cutting them my mouth open. It was just an horrendous, horrendous thing. Emotionally, just I had really no idea who I was, where home was, or what was going on. All these people around me, I don't know if they're saying my wife, my kid, my son, my daughter. Uh, a very trying thing. And when they finally, she got me to the best rehab center. And I shouldn't even have been out of the hospital, let alone at a rehab center. And they said in the videos, I'm speculating this because I don't physically remember this, but I know this was told to me that, I told the doctor that the second day there, what do I need to do to get out of here? What do I need to do? He goes, well, you need to do this, 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 named off all these things. And I said, okay. So if you tell me I do this, this, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, that I can go home. And I put my hand out, shook his hand. You do it, you can do it. So they thought I'd be there from two weeks to two months, you know, learning how to walk, talk, all this crazy stuff. It was how many days? Four days. Four days. (laughs) Yeah. Four days, man, because you know what? I didn't know who the hell I was. I don't know where I was at. I don't know if I'm some science project. I don't know. Nothing, nothing. And then let's fast forward. I, I accomplish all that. The doctor has to let me out. He lets me out. And then now we're going to home, which I have no idea home, no idea about my fight career, no idea about any of these things whatsoever, completely. And I'm going home with somebody that I don't even know. So um, that was a, I mean, I think it was more, trying on you than it yeah, was on want, me because she was holding the load of everything.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask, Gwen, uh, because obviously you were disoriented, but, Gwen, you you witnessed all this and, and the aftermath. So, for a period of weeks, you know, where was your head at? And did you ever you know go through your mind like how are we gonna how are you gonna help both of you to recover in some some type of of uh structure
1: yeah i think i was i like i don't like reliving it and i don't feel like i like to feel like i'm ignoring it either but i just try to every day move forward and just focus on now and what needs to get done and so I feel like I was in survival mode and I, I know what's going on and of course I am very distraught and torn apart like there was days that you know I felt okay and then sometimes I couldn't even keep myself together at all um, but I had a lot of help and I'm thankful for that but I was really just on survival and like how do I get him home? How am I gonna keep home uh, together and not fall apart? Because it was all on me, our business, you know, our animals, our, our bills, everything was just, um, it was challenging and I had a lot of days where I just cried or no appetite. Um, but I think like it just, like I said, survival and prayer helped me a lot, and then having my daughter around helped me, like that was medicine to me, um, so.
2: Yeah, but you know, there was a lot of trying times for her too that that tested her um, patience with me because she I, can well, share that. I think that-
1: my patience, I'm like cursed with patience, but at this level was more like, you have to really step way back and be very, very patient. Like if you're dealing with a toddler, because that's what it was. It was like I had to deal with um, just someone completely different, and then obviously all the care that he needed um, just a required a lot of patience, like a infant. So I that was a huge growing point for myself and testing my my own self like okay you cannot get mad at little things even repetitive things you know like
2: my underwear not folded properly (laughs) You you gotta tell them that
1: i don't like the underwear story but um
2: now mind you my life is based on structure and organization right okay a thousand percent and i'm a creature of habit completely set a goal develop structure and build a budget on how to get there. And when we had went to Korea, the, we had our laundry done and they had folded my underwear in this amazing looking way. And, and <laughs> So I like, he
1: asked me like, hey, do you mind folding my underwear like this? Right. And I was like, yeah, that's fine because I already folded it, but this was like a little extra. And um, so that was the way I folded his underwear. And when he came home and looked at his underwear drawer, he was like, what is this? Are you sure this is my underwear? Like, I don't fold my underwear like this. So I snatched the underwear from him and I said, because I got a little pissed off right there, and was like, no, you don't. You used to fold it a little bit differently. Let me show you how. So, you know, I just did it how he used to, and he's like, yes. That's how I fold my underwear. I said, okay, if you want me to fold your underwear like that, I will. So I started to do it how we used to and then when he got great, his though. memory when he got his memory back and you know he goes to his underwear drawer and he's like what the hell <laughs> <laughs> he's like did you get lazier
2: <laughs> it gets even like, better though oh my
1: god
2: so when she picks me up I'm very adamant even with the type of clothes i wear the type of shoes everything so she brings the stuff that i wore in 97 you know dickies chucks converse and you know so there's no messed up with my head so when i get to this home which i don't know is my home and she takes me in the room she's like okay this is your clothes this is this and i'm looking at all this little now Mike, i'm a physique uh competitor now so i'm like mr gq styling whatever and i'm looking at these skinny jeans and all this i'm like nah are you (laughs) sure no no this is not my stuff you guys are bullshit here. This is not my home. This is not my stuff. So, I literally, she had bought had to buy me new clothes because I literally wouldn't touch. I wouldn't even go in the drawer.
1: Yeah.
2: At all, I didn't. I wore the same. New shoes
1: because he didn't want to wear the shoes that he had. I mean,
2: <laughs> it was ridiculous. You know. It, well.
1: It took him a couple of weeks to finally be like, "Are you sure this is mine? I can wear it. It's okay. <laughs> like it's not someone else's." And like. No, it's not someone else's,
2: you know. As I didn't know. And his pictures are everywhere,
1: but it's just not registering to him.
2: Yeah. A lot of trying things like that that would truly test your relationship, not only with the person you love, but testing your own self, who you are as an individual. Sure. And the ability to love, care, have patience, and something where I was basically – a child again you know and i had one eye and there's only a little bit of vision in this eye yeah. and you know simple something is just pouring something to drink
1: right. you know i Deception. have to have
2: perception of two different things cuz i'm pouring things on the table i'm spilling everything i'm running into you everything can't
1: get mad at that you
2: know you know extremely frustrating and for her knowing who i was before to see this person always saying I'm sorry, I've never said, I would never say I'm sorry because I felt like I never did anything wrong to anybody to say I'm sorry, it's one of my biggest things. She said, I was saying sorry every five minutes. And following rules, oh man, I was Mr. Rule follower to the T, <laughs> you better have your mask on, you better have this, that, that, <laughs> man. No cussing, following the rules. So it's a whole dynamic different person for her to, when I look back and watch the videos, like, oh my God, everything you had went through, Even if me trying, you know, if I'm walking the dog, she's still walking me and the dog because she's watching. What is this guy doing? He's going to run into something. And it just extremely taxating at that point. So
0: how how long did you go with memory loss? How how long did that last?
1: It was about two and a half months. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it still felt like a long time. And we didn't even know if it would come back. Yeah, they was, didn't know. Yeah, they really didn't. They just didn't. said he could get it. He may not. It could happen throughout a period of years. It could happen you sure. know, quickly. They just don't know.
2: They told us there, the, in my certain situation, there was only one person that survived it. And uh, he's in a wheelchair in the Midwest. And his verbal skills are not that great. But he is not physically functioning, even though nothing happened to his body physically. I had traumatic injuries, even to my rib cage on both sides now we know are busted, the ribs are sticking out, but there were so many injuries that we didn't even get addressed that yet. So um, losing my mind, that memory that whole time and the night that it came back, it was, a, it was a precursor to it. I had slept for two days straight and she started to get worried and was going to call the doctor.
1: Well, the first day I was like, he's really exhausted. So we're just going to let him sleep. My daughter was like, what's wrong with him? You know, like he was just he would get up, go to the bathroom, go back to sleep, get up, go to the bathroom, back to sleep. And so I was like, let's just let him rest. You know, maybe he's really tired. I'm just going to let him sleep today. But tomorrow, like I'm going to try to get him up and moving. So that, (laughs) yeah, but it was a little bit more active. So the following day is where I was like, okay, now you need to get up and let's go for a walk. Let's move around a little bit. Like it's not healthy to just lay in bed either. So that's the day that his memory came back. But it was in the evening though. And things were happening that day already where he was trying to like get in the gym and lift some weights. And I'd be like with clients and I'm like, what are you doing? Like you know, I'm still watching him like mama bear, like, don't touch that. Don't lift too heavy. And he was already getting like ringing in his ear. And that's when I didn't even know that that was, it was happening already like during the beginning of the day, um, because that's how his memory came back in the evening. He had loud ringing in his ear.
2: Um, Yeah. She, that, that day, um, Uh, See, I'm trying to tell you something if I remember or what was told to me. And it's like, that's a big thing that's hard with me. Like, did somebody, she told me this or is that a memory? Because not until my memory came back that day is where I know everything that's going on. But on that day, I know that uh, I was experiencing ringing in my ear, flashing, whatever. But I think my mind was just trying to reset and find its way back home. And that's why it had me like almost in my own sedative state that it was trying to make the connection back to now. Sure. And I had asked, my jaws banded shut at this time, and there was a little hole on the side right here, tiny where I could open up. And I said, and I asked her, um, did I ask you? I did ask you. Can I asked I her, that? can you get some McDonald's and smash the hamburger up, cut it into strips <laughs> like a French fry and start feeding it to me through the hole? So obviously she loves me. So she's, she's going to do that. And uh, she brought back the McDonald's. I was sitting at the kitchen table, right? Right. Okay. I'm trying to know if I, I don't know if it's a memory you're telling me. And uh, <clears throat> she started feeding me. And this is the first part of where I start remembering something. My ears started to ring so hard, piercing, like a laser going through. And then I heard my name and I yelled, wreck!"
1: Yeah, it was really weird.
2: <laughs> and my jaws, you know, shut. I can't, I just did as much as I could, snapping bands, everything. And then I sat there. And I looked to the left and right, and I looked at her. And she's looking at me. And I put my hand on my face. I'm like, what the F-bombs? <laughs> What the mother, at, what the, what the, what the, oh, what the, what the, oh my God. Now I go into freak out mode. I thought that I was sitting at the table and it was the morning of the bike ride because when we get back, we eat breakfast and start the day and do that. I thought it was that day. Mm. So I lose everything from the accident through all that stuff. And I wake up missing an eye, can't see out of this eye face completely distorted, jaw wired shut, and feeling like a miserable mess, and my stomach. <laughs> Fat is you know God what. I mean, oompa loompa out. So immediately I'm like, who in the what the F, call the police, call everybody right now, I'm killing everybody, I'm trying to talk, about to shut, who did this to me, what happened? They're like, no. You had an accident mm. what do you mean accident well okay what what hit me no you hit something me maverick the king of the streets the king of stunts mr unstoppable intuition fly off the wall do a backflip, land on my feet like a cat mm. yeah i couldn't swallow it i couldn't accept it sure there's no way There's no way I rode a bicycle 22 miles an hour face first into a semi. Hmm. All
0: right. So let's flash forward to today. So currently, where are you both with all of this? Is it still a mental and emotional struggle? How do you handle it?
2: Well, it is. And Tim, let me tell you. You know, my father was founder of the United States Navy SEALs. In 1958, Clarence W. Harvey. I was raised on Coronado Island, Japan. Got my Golden Dragons at the age of nine. So the mentality and mindset that I had as an individual from that day on was a set of precedents that you can choose to be a victim or you could choose not. No man's left behind. We bring everybody home. And in the beginning, it was very um it's very traumatic for me here was a guy that was functioning doing everything winning these shows my wife's winning successful business everything is going great and now i can't even walk can't even pour a glass of drink so i sat there and i said you know what Everything that she's been through, everything that my family's been through, with my friends, the support, I can sit in this bed and lay here and just be a victim. And you know what? Have every right to be. Have every right because what has happened to me? Disfigured, dysfunctional, can't walk, hardly breathe. My jaw, even when I eat today, it's just it's, it has to be rebroken to be fixed properly. I can lay here and be the victim or I can turn this tragedy into triumph. I can show the world that, you know what, you are not limited. Your only limitations is psychologically what you're going to do with yourself this day, from this day forward. And I chose not to be a victim to the people that didn't victimize themselves when they helped support me. The three hours, every three hours, her trying to put stuff in my eye, give me the medicine. I mean, how many sleepless nights did she have? Mm. Feeding me by tube with a straw and a syringe, taking me to the doctor, listening to me tell her that you're not my wife, you know, I don't know who you are, I mean, you know, give me some space, you know, all of that. How could I be the victim when everybody went through that? So for me, the choice was easy. Stand up, put that tragedy in your back pocket, set a new goal, and let's keep pushing. Yeah, good for you.
0: Well, so tell me how how did how did you all become bodybuilders? Where where does that fit in?
1: Well, I think Mav has always um, had a background of it, even though he was you know MMA fighter for they always years. called me the
2: bodybuilder fighter and because of my physique. Always
1: followed it, and that was you know his era, and so that was always a part of him. Um, but I think we're we really, obviously, got into it was when I started competing, and it was really just petty. I was asked to compete in a show because the promoter was promoting their show, um, but I ended up winning five first place trophies that day, not knowing anything about the sport at all.
2: I was our cozy coach, yeah. We didn't know about
1: anything, and I really wasn't my heart was not there, um, but then he had a we moved away he had a coma and with walking pneumonia accident that was another accident that happened um and that took a lot of my time and energy too because surgeries and recovery time so i was like not active for two years and then decided i wanted a goal and the goal was just to get back in shape let's i need to work towards something and then competing came back into my life and then Maverick started to take interest, like he said in the beginning, more supportive than anything because it's challenging with the food. And, you know, my family's eating something different. I feel like I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. So he helped by just trying to practice some of the nutrition um, and then that became a passion. Nutrition became a passion too. Um, Personal training, other people became a passion. So it's now just a part of our life, um, competing and everything, really. It's a lifestyle for us. It
2: is a lifestyle, and it's based on this, and and I talked about this earlier. And my father instilled this in me as a very young age. And I know I keep beating it like a dead horse, but you have to have, you know, a lot of people have vision boards, My dad would call it the reality board. And that reality board meant you set a goal, you develop structure, and you find a budget. And that's not just with your money, with your time on how to get there. And without setting those parameters in your life, you become status quo. You become just living day by day, paycheck to paycheck, with never really achieving nothing, never having really highs or really lows. And that just never been enough for me or her and uh seeing her win worlds you know it just inspired us even more to follow this pathline. and then her witnessing somebody that never drank never smoked did drugs you take care of your body you can get through a traumatic injury like this because i am the only survivor aside from another gentleman to suffer brain trauma like this and still be walking and talking and functioning at this level It doesn't happen. And that's all based on our lifestyle and taking care of yourself. And we're just a firm believer of that. And we try to promote, you know, a lifestyle that is based around that. It's not a meal plan. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. I feel happy. I feel healthy and I feel good. You know, and these are the trademarks that we try to instill in the immortals. And we try to present that and make that a part of our lives. And we practice what we preach to show people, look. You live by these guidelines, you follow this, you can too succeed.
0: Okay, well, you've both become incredible influencers in the world today. When you were growing up, did you ever fathom that you would be influencing so many people in so many lives?
2: You know, I thought I was gonna be the Commandant in the Marine Corps. (laughs) I really did. And two days after my father saluted me after I got commissioned, Ironically, was in a head-on collision with a semi truck, where it nearly took my life, broke my clavicles both sides, fractured my spine, broke my pelvis, uh, fractured my sternum, basically couldn't walk, and so I was medically discharged at that time, and my whole life changed again, changed again. I thought that's what it was me, Semper Fi, do or die, you know. I was going to run the Marines. I was going to be leader of all men, you know. And when God has a plan. No matter what you think you're going to do to follow your own, he has a bigger one and it's going to go his way.
0: I'm glad you said that because that's what I've learned over the years. Um, so what's, what's the most challenging aspect of, of all of this? What, what do you deal with now that is just so challenging?
2: The hardest thing is the inability to perform at a level that I'm used to. Something that I could do in two steps now takes me 12 steps. Mm -hmm. It is extremely frustrating because I have to relearn who Maverick is and how he's gonna do things. And I try to do it without taxating my family because I can easily just instantly drop into tears and be upset when I can't do something, a simple project that I'd be able to snap my fingers and do. So that is the most challenging thing: is relearning how to be the maverick I was, but at a different level.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the most challenging. On the flip side, where did did you get, or where do you get the most gratification of, from your experiences, and why?
2: It's that's the most easiest thing. The best gratification I get is from my family. Mm. The sheer love and determination that my daughter was baking cakes for me and breaking them to the hospital. Gwen up sleepless nights over and over again. She's a beautiful woman. I'm 53 years old. She doesn't need this. She doesn't need this pressure. She doesn't need this stress. But she chose to stand right here and fight. She chose to stand right here and tell the world, this is my man and I love him. I love him more than words can say, regardless, and I'm gonna to continue to stand by it. So, this has been the, the most divulging learning experience for me by just experiencing the love from her, because obviously, you know, our age difference, you know, a lot of people touted it as it's never gonna work and this and that, or she's with you for the wrong reasons and da da da. Well, all that's put aside now, 100%. <laughs> you can guarantee that. And, uh, that has been the the most satisfying thing. I don't know what it, what, what about you?
1: I feel like it's, um, even though it's been a tragic, you know, thing that's happened to us, it's definitely brought our family closer together and we've closed a lot of doors that were just draining and we just focused on us and our family. And it's honestly the most, Satisfying, you know, we went on a family trip to Hawaii and that probably has been the best thing for us and just Helped unite us as a family.
2: We were able Tim to be honest, he was able to Reduce the noise in our life if that makes any kind of sense and what I mean by that is we had so many outside entities involved in our life for all the wrong reasons regardless if they call them smiling faces, they were there for another reason or a benefit of something. And she was able to be strong enough to really close all those doors and really only allow the people in our lives that we're making an effort on a daily basis to step up and make sure that she had everything she need when I was, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, Lee is to say. And uh, that has been another part of the big, a big gratification of the, this tragedy. And sometimes God puts you through things to open doors and open your eyes and transition your path of where he needs you to be.
0: One, one of the central messages that I try to get through with my book and this podcast is telling people that it's, it's okay to ask for help. Right. So through all this, has that, has that changed as far as how you were prior to the accident about asking for help and now today where
2: you are and asking for help? You, you nailed it in a sense that...
1: I think you still don't like to ask I for help. I don't like
2: to ask for help. I, I never would ask for help. Yeah. I would eat a dirty banana off the street corner and smile <laughs> and say, I feel great. Yeah. before I would ask for help and
1: he still tries to not you know and do things himself but but he has to accept the fact that I do need help I, I can't do things like I used to or I can't handle it all by myself so that,
2: that that's been hard but that's something that I've learned to start to accept yeah you know that I've given so much to people in so many different ways, not just financially, but emotionally, mentally, motivationally. And then I need to let them feel good about giving back to me. That's right. And I need to have that, that concept to it. Not that in my head, I was, when I, anybody that wanted to help me in my head, I feel, well, you're failing. Somebody has to help you because you're failing. And I, I blame that on the mentality of my father <clears throat> having me on Coronado Island, in Japan, in Hawaii, with those Navy SEALs Seals. from the age of seven. A seven-year-old boy should not be living with his dad in Coronado Island while he's training Navy SEALs. And listening to that psychology and the philosophy behind that is great for a grown man going to battle and having to overcome and go through something. But to learn that as a child was very detrimental to me in many ways. I'm thankful for it because it made me the man I am. It gave me five world titles. It was able to me to put pain and suffering aside, but it also did not teach me. It did not teach me how to receive because it just wasn't acceptable with that. Yeah. We provide for ourselves. We provide for our own. We get our own home. We ask for nothing of no one. We are the elite.
0: All right. So I want to, this is great. I want to talk about the subject of masculinity And obviously your father was tough on you. I'm wondering, did he ever show you love? Did he ever discuss feelings and emotions? Did he ever spend time with you to talk about what it is to be a man and what
2: masculinity really is? Those words, those ideologies those things were not acceptable to be the best. Those were pathways to failure. Mm. Those were pathways not to succeed or push or overcome or go above and beyond what it takes. Not that he didn't, but he wanted to know that at the end of the day, that if he left me on the corner, I'd stand on my own two feet and survive. You know, he, anytime he would tell me that he loved me, he would never call me by my name. He would always use my nickname, zah Zaza. He loved Zaza, and that's who he would tell he loved. And it took me many years to understand that because he was loving a boy in two different fashions and it's a lot to swallow at times. I don't play victim of it. I don't allow it to um, be a deterrence to anything that I do in my life now. I don't choose to be that way towards my children and my family. I choose to find that happy medium to teach them what it is to succeed and what it entails for hard work, but also show them love and that it's okay to love. And that's just something that wasn't taught to me.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, this This is the big thing that I'm trying to communicate with the work I do. Because, you know, there's over 300 million people in the world have depression, but only half of those get help, and most of those are men. Mm. And just like you explained, you know, look, our fathers, our parents, the media, you know, our parents didn't know anything different. That's how they were brought up. Our, the media has, has moved that in the same direction telling people a man you know be a man tough up I don't want to hear you whine etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's what ha- what stops men from asking for help when they really need it sure. and it actually takes more courage to ask for help and not to it's, it's when it's when you know you're not feeling well or you have depression or you have mental health issues and you choose to throw, throw it under the, the rug, you know, not pay attention to it. I'll, I'll eat over it. I'll drink over it. If, if all of this, these conditions and mental health are not checked, you don't tell your doctor, you're not honest with your doctor, then that's when risky behavior shows up, alcoholism, drug addiction, pill addiction, violence domestic violence rape and sometimes suicide and it's all unnecessary i mean i, I read about the other day a 16 year old kid for, because of the pandemic committed suicide last week and nobody talks about it right and that's that's what i'm trying to move the you know move the rock a little like hey all of this stuff needs to be talked about it it can't be suppressed anymore we all have to be there for each other we all have to help each other that's that's our responsibility love thy neighbor is there anything more important than that saying in the bible love thy neighbor it says it all amen says it all so i i have and i didn't know i have severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring Mm -hmm. in 41 years I was addicted to marijuana, and I was in denial. I didn't want to ask for help. And finally, what happened was God took everything away from me. And I started going to meetings, and I got sober eight years ago. And that has allowed me to be, become my authentic self. Right. And, and to be who I am and not care about what others think and i live in a level of being of service to mankind that's I found. I found my purpose in life finally after thinking that i had to work 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 until you know i could i would pass out i would i would be drinking and drugging i would be acting out risky behavior in a million ways. But, it uh, you know, God finally got the message to me that, hey, it's not going to work. That's Amen. not what
2: life's really about. Well, you know, it sounds like you finally became transparent you yeah. know, with yourself. And we talk about transparency in our morning meals all the time, too. And that's the key. If you can't be transparent with yourself, that is the first step. Of looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, I am and I will. And being transparent about your situation. And I tend to try to tell people, you know, instead of badgering them about anything they're going through, before you even worry about that, look at yourself and be transparent.
0: Yeah. Very true. That's awesome. Um, So when you were young, did you ever display any uh, risky behavior?
2: You know, I was a thrill seeker. That was my risky behavior. Mm-hmm. I never did a drug in my life. I never drank. Right. I never tried marijuana. Um, I was just a thrill seeker. I wanted to do above and beyond. And that all goes back to that childhood being raised and listening to that mentality of overcoming everything and anything. And so my mindset was if I was going to stand on that motorcycle, if you stood on the pegs, I'm gonna stand on the seat. If you stand on the seat, I'm gonna stand on the tank. If you stand on the seat and go 50, I'm gonna stand on the tank and do 100. It was never enough for me. And thank God, I didn't truly kill myself and was able to make it through all of that. Yeah. You know, it, it got to the point where, you know, Not did I have just the Lamborghini, but I had to have the Lamborghini with twin turbos. Now, I had that Lamborghini with rims and tires custom. Now, I had to have the Lamborghini with twin turbos, rims and tires custom, and custom interior. And then somebody else said, oh, I have an airplane. Oh, I have to have an airplane. Not only do I have to have one airplane, now I have to have two airplanes. Not do I have to have two airplanes, I have to have a stunt airplane, (laughs) which I don't even know how to fly, but yet I bought it and almost (laughs) killed myself and crashed it. Oh, And, you know, it just… It, it never became enough until, you know, I found God in my gym in front of my stove with my three dogs and realized that, you know what, Maverick, you're not God. Because my father taught me to be God-like. Yeah. yeah. You know, and when I finally found the Lord and broke down, that is another huge, big changing point in my life to where I was doing more giving than receiving. So.
0: Yeah, it's an important thing in life is learning how to receive. A lot of people, a lot of people don't know how.
2: Huh? Yeah. it's uh, it's an insecurity thing, and it's it's a it's a lot of people foresee it as failure. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, if they gotta help me, it means I'm failing. I must not be making it. I must not be doing what I need to do. You know, and a lot of time that's instilled in a child. Yeah, you know, don't take nothing from nobody. Do it on your own. Da da da. You know. Earn it. So. Well,
0: tell us, tell us again. You you talked briefly about how you are as a father to your children, and Gwen, I don't I don't know if you have children or you play that role of a mother. Uh, how how do you guys uh, characterize yourself as a
2: mother and a father? 100 percent structure. Hmm. You know, parents with structure and love um Gwen is more the ruling fist in a sense (laughs) and I'm more of the like give you whatever you want yeah and I think that's a backlash from the way I was raised but ultimately aside from all of that my daughter gets has gotten anything and everything she could have possibly ever wanted but she also understands that there comes you know rules and regulations and structure because you wouldn't be able to get those things if, I wouldn't be able to give you those things if I didn't possess them <laughs> myself. So if you wanna to continue to have these type of nice things, then you have to understand the parameters of setting the goals, developing structure, and creating a budget, not in so many words, but having a routine, a, routine, a structurized routine. And uh, she's more the iron fist uh, with everything, discipline, all that. I really do none of the above when it comes to that.
1: Yeah, even with our dogs.
2: <laughs> even with the dogs, I do so right have out, a year
1: old um, <laughs> daughter, and then 17 year old son, son, who's not really with us that often, but our daughter is. Mm. And um, yeah, that's exactly what he said. I'm, it doesn't seem like I am, but I am the tough love one. And I have to um, just put the foot down on a lot of things. Just because he's such a softy and doesn't want to give rules, and you know, it's okay, candy and snacks <laughs> and no rules, jump on the bed. And it's like, no. then I come in and I'm like, <laughs> get off the bed and yelling.
2: And, That's you know. with the dog, not with our dogs. <laughs> but it's still do our realize.
1: dogs are our babies, yeah.
2: you know, yeah, like they truly are too. I do so. let the dogs get away with murder, but our daughter, she knows. I just, I matter of fact, I just said something yesterday that, you know, I we're going to instill that. Every night before she goes to bed, she's going to check that sink. I don't care if she did dishes five times. There's not going to be one dirty dish right. left in that sink before we all go to bed. I know it sounds petty, but that is just developing structure. It right. develops you know, a routine that yeah. needs to be done 100%. percent. Yeah. That's just been one of the newest things. You know, Just because you did the dishes at 5 o'clock after dinner, but then everybody had ice cream this night, you're not going to let those things sit all night. Right. Yeah. So, and I don't want to tell you to do it. I'm going to say it only once, and that's it.
1: And that's enough.
2: That's all I should be, because then you're going to start realizing that, oh, you want this, you want that, but I had to tell you three times about this. Right. Right. I don't want to have to do that, you know. Shouldn't have to do that.
0: Excellent. Okay, so this is an incredible story. You've had incredible experiences. What have you learned from all of this?
2: That Maverick needed to slow down hundred mm. percent because flying full throttle 24 seven ultimately it had to come to this and it has dynamically changed our lifestyle in so many different ways that it's it's just unexplainable as far as even everything from from eating to driving to everything that we do has to really be thought out now right because of this even walking the dogs at night, you know, I have to be, you know, cause my vision is poor at night. I can't see when the lights go down, my something's going on with my iris and neurologically that it's not controlling the light in and out. So no light and bright light, I become like snow blind under bright light. And with no light, I'm looking sideways. It's just, it's, it's really upsetting, but I've learned that, you know, in my part that I've had to slow down. And what I believe Glenn has learned is she has been a, a more, understanding and forgiving person in a sense of not being ready to cut my head off because she had to be, because I basically was a child again. And yeah. she needed to learn that again because uh, she was so adamant with everything it was you know cut and dry. But when this accident happened, she had to develop other skills to be caring and understanding in a sense that like, he's just a big kid again, right. you know, he's going to break things and spill things. Oh my God. On and on and on about just, you know, daily routine things of trying to learn how to function again. Right. Severe brain damage, you know. And it it was hard on her, I know, because she would look at that man, that powerful world champion. Now, this guy sitting at the kitchen table came and pour a glass of milk, Mm -hmm. you know. So, I don't know, is there anything else you want to add to that?
1: No, I just, I feel like I've, um, I've been, I've learned to be more protective in a sense, like I'm like full on protect protection mode, you know, like I like just kind of, even when it comes to him and my family now, I'm like throwing knives at you, if you want to (laughs) like, you know, if you look at him the wrong way, I'm like, what are you looking at? You know, like I'm just like fully, um, I'm just more aware.
2: We got pulled over by the police and just I'll make this real brief. I know we've been on here for a minute. And the police officer, you know, he's on a control. The the main officer comes to the driver, and then your partner comes to the rear passenger side and she rolls down the window and goes, I'm gonna tell you right now, he's blind in that eye, he can't see you, step forward. I'm like I'm yeah. going to jail, shit.
1: <laughs> Well, because I She's just, just have cop- to make it clear, I've just seen too many videos where <laughs> the cops do stupid shit and they don't realize this person may have something like a disability and then you know they do damage to the person so for me it's like i don't want to risk anything for him at all plus he this this is the blind side so he didn't even see the the cops standing next to him you know i had to say that in order for him to be like oh
2: hi yeah yeah. (laughs) you
1: know very
2: protective very protective yeah Even in Costco, I'm walking with a cart and I feel, boom, Well, I'm like guiding him, you know, so I'm pulling him, pushing
1: him, like making sure Uh, he's not
2: bumping into uh, me. Let me tell you, so (laughs) it's Christmas. I'm computer illiterate for the most part, electronic. They're able to order all the presents, uh, you know, online, this and that. And I'm like, they went shopping. I'm like, I'm going to go to the mall. (laughs) Do it. Oh, my God. I am not ready for the ball. I'm not ready for that. I bumped into so many people, knocked so much shit down. Oh my God. Then got lost, got frustrated. I'm going to call her. She's going to be like, what are you doing at the ball? I, I oh my God. So it, it really got, it was so frustrating. And I was making, bumping into so many people and just so couldn't see. And I ended up buying like gift cards. It was like, because I just didn't want to. to inter- it was just too stressful for the interaction. Like I really am not able to do that by myself yet. Let alone drive all the way over there and do that. I thought she was going to kill me when I got back. But uh, <laughs> but it was just just funny. So I get why she does it now. But it's still, uh, you know, you used to walk in, I'm feeling good. All of a sudden, what is that? <laughs> what, what the hell? You know. But, well, thank uh, thank
0: you for taking time to share your story with us. It's truly remarkable. Time. And listeners, as you can see, Gwen and Maverick's story is quite remarkable. He's a self-made man of courage, bravery, and giving to his community, a true role model for our world today. And Gwen is that strong woman that is always the superior partner for her man. We're honored to have you on our podcast today. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our audience?
2: Uh, We just want to say thank you for having us. Yes. Thank you for sharing our story. We're here for you in any time, any place that you need. And if anybody needs to try to get a hold of us and wants to talk with us, feel free to reach out with us. We'll give that information, you can post it up. And uh, you can check out our YouTube channel, Immortal Maverick on YouTube. And uh, you can follow the whole uh, tragedy triumph series back to the stage. Uh, it's an eight part, nine part series. Uh, that's all posted right now.
0: Perfect. Perfect. I look forward to continuing our dialogue moving forward so I can learn more from you so that I can help others. Thank you again. Listeners, please look, up, look for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts, including the Mental Health News Radio Network. And keep your eyes out for my new book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, relationships, masculinity, and suicide. Feel free to contact me for speaking engagements through my my website, timcrass.com. And don't forget, have fun, everybody.